Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, rock and rollers. My name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Josh Teske from the Teske Brothers. The Teske Brothers have been grinding it out in the bars and festivals in their hometown near Melbourne, Australia for a decade. While it's true that the four-piece is comprised of young devotees of the classic era of American soul and R&B, their reverence for the genre is far deeper than mere imitation. It's simple enough to learn some tried-and-true chord progressions and lean hard on the blue notes, but to so faithfully capture the elusive vibe of the 60s muscle shoal sound exhibits a musical maturity far beyond their 20-something perspective. The Teske brothers, two proper Teske siblings along with a pair of musical blood brothers accompanying them on bass and drums, recorded their debut album Half Mile Harvest in their own studio, utilizing vintage recording gear to add an extra level of realism to their take on old-school soul music. When singer Josh Teske's vocals distort, intentionally, on songs like Pain and Misery, it's because he and his bandmates took the time to learn the archaic manner in which Otis Redding's microphone distorted on the kinds of classic recordings that made legends of artists like himself, Sam Cooke, Wilson Pickett, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, and others. With this preternatural affinity for stylistic restraint and obvious inherent talent, it's easy to see why the Teske Brothers' brand of soul music has transcended their home country and landed with a welcome triple-meter bang in America. Welcome to Independence Day, Josh Teske of the Teske Brothers. Hey, Josh. Hey, so happy to be on the show. Thanks for being here, man. You come a, you're a long way from home. Yeah, very long way from home. We're, uh, you know, we're from the very south of Australia, um, from Melbourne, out in the Yarra Valley, a little bit out of the city there. Beautiful city. Yeah, we love Melbourne. You know, we've um, great music city. Yeah, a lot going on out there. You know, so we've really fantastic place for musicians to uh, to thrive out there in in our city in Melbourne. I've been to Melbourne. It's lovely, uh, and it feels like having been to Europe. To me, it felt like the most European of the Australian cities that I went to. Just had kind of a cosmopolitan feel about it. Totally. Um, but mm. the thing is, Australian musicians have the same challenge that like West Coast California musicians have. With touring in Australia, everyone lives at the, the perimeter, like close to the coast. There's not a whole lot going on in the middle of the country. Yeah, it's a man. big country. You said it. You said right? it. Yeah. So like when you guys go to tour, you know, you go to Sydney, you go to Perth probably. Just Are you around? Just how far do you get in Australia? Yeah, it's a completely different concept to touring America. You know, I've been, I've uh, really realized this um, speaking to uh, American musicians and how they tour, where, you know, you can jump in a bus and you can, you know, go from city to city um, and actually drive it. Whereas very rarely people drive Australian tours. We pretty much fly the whole thing. Um, Just the distance, the sheer distance, I mean, between you've got Melbourne over to Perth, there's a two-hour time difference and it's something like three days of driving or something like oh that. Oh, my with, Lord. With not a lot of stuff in between. You've got the Nullarbor uh, where you have, to, uh, you have to carry fuel with you, you know, to kind of get across that distance. So it's just wow. mad- madness to try and drive something like that. But uh, So our tours tend to look like you jump around. They don't make a lot of sense in terms of, um, you know, this city, then this city. We'll, we'll play a show in Melbourne. We'll jump all the way up to Brisbane, come back to Sydney, fly all the way over to Perth, maybe pop all the way down to Tasmania, play right. in Hobart, um, and you just, we just fly the whole thing with all our gear. And that's yeah. sort of, um, so very different to, um, to the American kind of way of doing things. So, I mean, I guess in the, on the West Coast here, it's um, similar to Australia in right. a sense, but we've got slightly larger distances than you yeah. guys, you know. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a big country, 
but there's not as many people, and it's so it's very it's very spread out. And the in the middle part, which I've the outback, we call it what you want. You would know better than I would. Mm. Very empty, as I understand. Exactly. Like, yeah. Ayers Rock is like out in the middle somewhere, but even right that's on. just like a cow town or like a little totally a lot tourist. of small towns, a lot of small yeah. towns, and really only six kind of big cities, and you know. Yeah, it's, um, I'm probably you know, getting trouble there. I'm going to miss one, maybe seven, including Hobart. <laughs> right, but um, even even some of the smaller cities are still still kind of like towns. You know, it's sort of um, right compared to an American. You know, something like you know Los Angeles, where we're coming from right now. I mean, um, you know, we're just uh, we're a dot on the map, even in Melbourne. You know, do you know off the top of your head how many Australians there are? What is the population ballpark? Ooh, I'm not sure. I should have I looked think, that up. If yeah, I'd done my um, proper research, I would have yeah, looked that up. Yeah, I mean, you can probably edit this out if I've got it wrong, but we're around about 60 million, I think. Okay, you know, yeah, Something that's like and that. that's just it. Like you think, like California, I think is 40 million. Well, there you are. Yeah, there you are. You know, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of crazy stats like that with um, European cities and things like that as well, where there's, you know, you know, there's more, I think there is, there's officially more people in London yeah. than there is in, in the entire, you know, country of Australia. So we're, um, <laughs> well, not quite you know, that much. Yeah, there's not yeah, 60 yeah. million people in London, but, but the, it is a sliding scale math. But I guess that's what I'm getting at is that, so coming mm. up when you were growing up playing music, playing music, were you like playing in local bars you know, to, so to, because you had to fly, that must present a unique challenge then to get out and do your first tour is a much bigger deal if you've got to fly to do it, right? Mm. Like for me as a young musician, I grew up in the Midwest part of the United States in the center part in Chicago, the Great Lakes region. So for me, there were towns a couple hours away in every direction and college towns between those. So for you, uh, did you come up playing in bars? Exactly, man. I mean, that's exactly until last year we never left the state of Victoria. Yeah, you know? see, that's so what I'm getting at right that's, there. Uh, and we've been playing together for just about 12 years now, wow. like in this exact kind of format. You know, me and my brother Sam obviously been playing for longer. You know, since we were kids, right. being brothers together. You know, so we used to we kind of grew up busking together, just kind of playing at markets and things like that around our local area. But for the last 10 years, man, we've been playing bars and clubs around Melbourne. Um, and really just around, you know, a few festivals, but just around Victoria. And, yeah. um, I guess as a, as a sort of young band with not a, not a big budget, it wasn't, it wasn't affordable or, you know, especially with no, not a really big name for yourself. You, you know, you need a big budget to be able to get all the way over to somewhere like Perth right. or even up to Sydney, you know, it was sort of, um, it was a very slow kind of process for us, but we just spent years of cutting our teeth, playing big, long kind of three setters in pubs being the blues band in the background there. Right. Um, a lot of local pubs around our area. We grew up in a town called Warrandyte, uh, which is sort of in the Yarra Valley east of um, Melbourne. And um, there's a really good um, blues and sort of soul scene, even in our area, Melbourne particularly, but even out there in the east, um, the pubs around our local area have music every weekend. So even before, while we were kind of, um, while we were playing, like busking over, we have a market across the road from a very famous pub called St. Andrew's Pub in our area. And every, uh, you know, every weekend there'd be music on there, you know, and always local kind of blues guys, our Australian kind of version of, of the blues, I guess is what you'd call it. I mean, it's a really thriving scene my whole life. So we've always grown up watching, um, watching people like Jeff Atchison and, you know, um, Chris Wilson these are all bands that are probably alien to many people, but um, in our scene in Melbourne, it's uh, they're really you know these are the these are our, like our heroes. Yeah, these are our heroes. We kind of grew up watching these uh, you know guitar slingers that were just incredible players, and they you know they were what they what influenced us probably before American music. Really, we had we right. were influenced by our 
Australian version of of people playing American music, really. Right. So you know, and now would be a good time to uh, to clarify. I mean, you're a band, right? When I sort of say Josh Teske, you are Josh Teske of the Teske Brothers, which That's there right. are four of, and one of them is your brother, and that is uh, sorry, Sam. That's right. And he's kind of like Sam so you. You're the singer and play rhythm guitar, and Sam's kind of lead guitar strat guy. And then you've got a bass player and a drummer, Brand, uh, Brendan Love, and Liam Guff as well. That's correct. So yeah. we tried, I want to make everyone clear, we tried to get the whole band here, because uh, you guys were just here in Los Angeles just a couple weeks ago. The whole band was here. and But we just couldn't squeeze it into your schedule. You've got a busy schedule, and that's a very good thing to have for a young band, is to have mm. a busy schedule. Get out there, get in front of as many people as you can possibly get in front of, is the name of the game. Uh, and welcome to the United States, by the way. And I'm sad I didn't get a chance to meet the rest of the guys, but perhaps the next time they're in town. Well, there'll be plenty more times, and uh, I look forward to the time we can come in with the whole band. That'd be fantastic. That would be great. Know? And let's let's give people a taste of what the whole band sounds like, right? You've got this song. Uh, you've got kind of a unique record situation. You've got a record that came out just about a year ago in your home country in Australia, and it's about to be released here in the United States by a, 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 a domestic label for us. But you've also got a new album in the works, which has got it's just like a weird song thing. That's kind of they're swapping something out. But so for Americans, it's new regardless. Exactly. That's right. So it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be released for the first time over here, you know, very soon. I mean, I guess in the this day and age where people can get things digitally anyway, right. you know, there's a lot of Americans that are, you know, already, I mean, there's people coming to the shows, you know, so yeah. people are familiar with the music and the record, but... On a, on a grander scale, we're kind of just releasing it, you know, I guess right. in, in record stores and in your kind of, right. that'd, that'd be the difference, I guess. You can actually buy, you know, a physical copy over here yeah. and it'll be released on, on this label over here. Yeah, that's definitely, that's the case. You know, people, every, the internet connects everybody for better or for worse. So people can hear about you. People looking for Australian blues bands can look up, not that you're just a blues band, but they can look up bands in, from Australia on Google, let their fingers do the walking and bam, here come the Teskey brothers. And now that you've got some exposure here in the States, now they're going to have an opportunity to see you play live shows because you're going to be doing some touring around the States. But let's hear this. This is a song called Pain and Misery, which is on that last record, which people will be able to pick up here in the States pretty soon. They can find some tracks on Google as well. The song uh, the album is called Half Mile Harvest, and it'll be available soon. So this is Josh Teske of the Teske Brothers. The song is Pain and Misery on Independence Day. I was happy 
But it's been pain now for so very long Oh, I'm begging you, honey, please Won't you stay Cause I've been so lonely since you've gone away Every day is pain In the end it's hard to see Every painful day is all so sad Now that I've lost the best friend that I've ever had My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. We come to you Wednesday nights. I've got an Australian band on today. We've got the singer. His name is Josh Teskey, T-E-S-K-E-Y. You can learn about Josh and his band, The Teskey Brothers, at theteskeybrothers.com, also all over Facebook and Instagram. But if you want to follow him on Twitter, you got to drop the article. No, the. It's just Teskey Brothers, T-E-S-K-E-Y Brothers. Obvious there. Josh, welcome, man. Thank you. Thanks again for having us on, Joe. It's fantastic it's, to be here, man. The pleasure is all mine. Tell me, when was the first time you came to the States? Had you come to the United States in some capacity before you were a musician, or was did music bring you here for the first time? Yeah, music uh, brought us here for the first time. So we came on our first uh, very small sort of taster tour um, the middle of the year last year, so 2017. Uh, around about June, I think it was, you know, and we just came and did just a couple of little showcase shows. So we played, um, we played a show here in Los Angeles at the Cafe Hotel there. Hotel Cafe, is Hotel what we Cafe, call that locally. There yeah. we are, yeah, mixing it up. Um, Same thing. Everybody knows it, where it is. The parking yeah, still sucks there. That's the one. Yeah, oh, it's a killer. And uh, we played one show in New York, and then we shot straight over to do a UK tour as well. So we spent more time over in the UK, but we came over here just to sort of get a bit of a just a couple of shows and. Um, that was our first taster, and then uh, we've just finished, um, you know, our first kind of slightly bigger tour, and we really came over to do South by Southwest mm. Festival, and that was an incredible experience. And then we built a tour around that as well. So, how did that go? How were you received? 
as in at South by Southwest because that can be overkill. There's a million bands, a million activities. Everybody's got their wristbands up their arm, and it's a huge thing. Like, how how, uh, how did it go for you? I mean, it was a great experience for us, and it um, for me. Um, we were just over the moon about how well it was received. I mean, we got a lot of really good feedback. We had a lot of people come down to the shows. I mean, it's this, it's this thing that constantly boggles my mind when I kind of come over here and we play things and, you know, and people, people turn up, people know about you. I guess it's like we were talking about before, how much of a small world it is with, um, with the internet and things like that. So um, we were really pleasantly surprised to have, you know, a full house kind of most nights we played and um you know a lot of a lot of you know industry sort of chats and met some people that was uh, you know really really helpful and um you know moving forward to sort of getting our kind of team together over here i guess um and the whole experience was fantastic and a really good response and really really cool to go and watch a bunch of music as well so i've found some new artists that i've been loving yeah and, you know that's um the whole f- i mean it was really intense it was um you know stressful to say the least you know <laughs> yeah a lot of carrying equipment around you know any all musicians that have that have played it know it's uh you know, it's a big city but most of the roads are closed off and things like that so you're you're lugging your gear from from venue to venue and you know we, we did something like seven gigs in in three days i think so it was wow. um it so was did busy. you with because you guys are a full band? That's a much different experience than just traveling as a solo artist, right? Like you've got just a guitar slung over your back. It's easier for you to go do a dozen gigs a day. But when you've got a whole band, there's some logistics involved there. And so did you? You didn't fly with all your gear to the states, amps and everything, did you? Or did you just rent stuff locally? Or how did you pull that off? I mean, there, we, is there backline in the club? Yeah, I mean a lot of the clubs have backline, but we fly with a fair bit of stuff. You know, like um. Me and uh, my brother Sam, we both play through, you know, really little amps. So we got, uh, I play through a little um, Champ, a Fender Champ it's called. And it's, mm-hmm. um, it weighs about six kilos, something like that. And it actually fits in your hand luggage. You know, so I stick yeah. it in, uh, you know, and Sam's got the same kind of thing. So we play through these little amps um, that we use when we have to. But if there's a backline amp at the, right. at the gig, then we use that. Um, you know, and then we normally either hire or, you know, the bass rig and the drums are always something that right. we, um, something that we hire. But uh, we're looking at flying with a, uh, with a little mini kit though these days, you know, Liam, yeah. our drummer, he's incredible at, um, building these different kind of, he's, he's one of those drummers that collects, you know, vintage drums and different things. And he's constantly kind of mismatching kits and, um, you know, many people know these drummers that have got, you know, can't let go of any kits. You go to his place and there's just drum kits everywhere. Yeah. He's got this little miniature kit that he um, that he uh, tours around with sometimes. In Australia, we tour with with all backline, you know, because we yeah. got um, uh, really good um, deals with the with the, with the airplane sort of lines down there where they they look after musicians really well, and we can take a lot of a lot of equipment around. Wait, wait, say that again. I just want to hear. I just want to hear that that exists somewhere in the universe yeah, about man. the airlines treating musicians well. Ah, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, um, I don't know if we need to, if we want to plug um, particular airlines, um, you know, and who they are. But we have a couple of airlines in Australia that, um, you know, give us uh, each musician if you can prove you're a musician, so you have songs out in the <laughs> market. Like dance for them. That's right. Yeah. So we have a we have a program called APRA, which is like the royalties kind of program mm-hmm. in Australia. And if you're a member of APRA. You know, musicians get um, two 32-kilo bits of luggage and as many items as you want, but not weighing more than 64 kilos, you know. Total, so you mean? or A total, yeah. Okay. So you can have, uh, and not weighing more than 32, one particular item, but as many items as you want, up to 64 kilos, you know. Wow. And it's, um, so it, it weighs up to be a lot of gear. So we, you know, 
you see musicians in the uh, in the in around the airports. Um, it's all a pretty small town, like our whole country. Sometimes yeah, yeah. It feels like with the music scene, so you're bumping into all sorts of musos, all lugging their gear around, and we're all hanging together at the airports. It's yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I know what it's like. I mean, I've n- I'm not obviously from Australia, but I've done some touring there with a band. And, you know, we flew over from, we did a, a TV show here in the States, flew straight to Japan, did a set of dates in Japan, then flew to Brisbane. And then we were in Brisbane, we had a couple of days off, which was delightful because it's more tropical there. And it was winter in the States then, so it was beautiful, nice, humid, delicious weather. Mm-hmm. And then we went... And did uh, what's your nighttime David Letterman style guy? What's his name? There's uh, Rove Live. That's what, what we did. did. We yeah, did Rove Live. Right on. And then uh, held a koala bear. We see him in the zoo, I guess, but like I got to actually like, touch it. It was amazing. Never Fantastic. saw a kangaroo though. I know it's like the most cliche thing in the entire world to like ask Australians about kangaroos, but I had seen some show, some new show when I was a kid about some town in Australia where there were like 10 of them on every street corner. Now, I didn't imagine it would be like that, but I didn't see one single kangaroo the entire, entire time um, I was there. That's really surprising because there's so many. Yeah. They are everywhere. They I was everywhere. Right. But mm. then, so what, uh, but we did, once we came to uh, Sydney, then it was every day, I think, for five days. Every day we'd get up and fly back and forth. So Sydney to Melbourne, Melbourne to Sydney, Sydney to Melbourne, back and forth for a week, like every day, flying back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So I know what you're getting at. Totally. That's the, I, that's I, the system. Yeah, that's how it works over there. It's, um, you know, it's just more efficient than to drive. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah. And I did hear Japan Airlines uh, has a thing now. I just saw this on the news, so I haven't, I haven't seen this proved out in reality. I did have a musician, uh, a Japanese musician on our show at the end of last year. Uh, so I could have asked her, but this came out after that. Is that... Uh, they will give you a box for your guitar. That your your case can't be a huge case, but if your case fits in this box, they will put your guitar in this special box. That they then give you special treatment with this box, like they take better care of the box. And that makes sense for the Japanese. They seem to be a very conscientious people. So I'm glad to hear someone's caring about musicians somewhere. I mean, I don't want to go negative, but I've heard way more horror stories than I've heard happy stories about musicians traveling. Oh, yeah. They Is don't. That, yeah, people have got them, don't they? Yeah. Wow. They do not. I mean, in personal ones. I've never, uh, the only one I have, I flew to Philadelphia one time. This was back before September 11th when you could have a door that led right out of the tarmac, like right there by the uh, baggage claim area. And I'd flown with my Martin acoustic guitar and it never showed up out of the baggage carousel. So then I got to go wait. So then, then nothing comes out. So then I go to the little desk where you go to complain about it. Like, hey, got to find my guitar. It's the most expensive thing I have. I need it. And they didn't know what to do. And I just was milling about while they were back looking around. And there was that door right there. And there was a window on it. I could see out into the tarmac. And it was wintertime. And I could see my guitar case in the rain sitting out on the tarmac about 60 feet away, just sitting there with nothing else around it. Nice. It's like, I, I knew it was my case, so I grabbed the purse and I pointed, it's like, there's my guitar, please go fetch it. Mm. And they did, and everything was fine, but could just as easily have been lost. It was just sitting out there. Totally, yeah, it man. sucked into right an engine over, for the love you know, of God. That's right, out in the rain. Anyway, I had a question. First, I want to hear a song, a live song in just a second. And by the way, musicians, uh, listeners of Independence Day, I can't wait for you to hear Josh do what he does. He's got an incredible voice. If you like artists like Otis Redding, if you like artists like uh, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, Marvin Gaye, the classic soul stuff, you're going to love what Josh and the Teskey Brothers do. But my question for you is, before the live song here, uh, if you'll indulge me, is what was your first impression of America? We share a language. You know, we share some other aspects of our culture. Like we seemed both of our cultures kind of came about via England in some way or another. Mm. But what was your impression of the people or when you got here? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, coming on a, a music tour, I guess, my first impressions was, you know, how 
I got to kind of meet the audiences before I met so many um, individuals. So, you know, when we first got into New York and we played like a show there, you know, like our first show in New York, we couldn't believe it. We didn't know how many people were going to turn up. But, you know, we ended up with an almost full house there at Rockwood Music Hall, you know. And, uh, and we were nervous, you know, because we're playing kind of our own version of American music. And we were sort of thinking how, uh, you know, how Americans going to take this. A couple of boys from the Yarra Valley of Warrandyte, you know, you know playing, some, playing some blues. And um, what we kind of noticed over here was, uh, you know, we love American audiences in terms of, you know, that Americans really know how to holler. They're a much louder audience than we'd ever had before. So we kind of... We, um, and I think they have a real understanding of blues, like a real culture of blues more than we have back home. So it's, maybe it's a bit more unique for people to be doing this back home in Australia. But uh, when we, you know, we're playing those notes, you know, Sam's wailing on his guitar and he's playing this great, I mean, he's got such a soulful way of playing. And um, Americans really, you know, they holler at it. You know, he hits a note and people would cheer and sort of in between the song. Yeah, yeah. Really silent audiences when they, you know, when they need to be and then really give you encouragement through the, you know, throughout the songs. And we just got a fantastic response, you know, even, you know, vocally um, and that, that kind of that American sort of holler to, to the blues. Whereas back home in Australia, we're maybe followed England a little bit more like that. We're, we're, right. we're much more polite, you know, we're very, and then clap at the end of the song. And, yeah. um, but there's that real culture here of, you know, when, you know, it's that BB King S kind of when someone's, you know, someone's, playing the blues or singing the blues people people yell it at you you know yeah. which is um and that was something that we we got a real buzz from you know we were like wow this is yeah. kind of this is really cool for us you know having traveled around the world a few times i can def i can say you know for better or for worse americans are definitely louder and more willing to just tell you what they think yeah, I whether think you so. want to hear it or yeah. not, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gonna tell and I you think what maybe think. more likely to boo someone as well. I think we yeah, would maybe. never do that back in. You know, we're much more polite back home, and maybe there's a sense here of you know Americans really tell you tell you what's going on very loud, and then you know I don't think um, I hope that never happens, but I could imagine you know <laughs> if it's you know it's this kind of thing or it's you know it's so you really yeah. gotta really gotta capture the crowd. You know, it's yeah. fantastic. So show us how you do that. What's this first song you're gonna play here? Uh, so this first song here is a is actually the first song off our album Half Mile Harvest, and it's um it's a song called Crying Shame. All right, so Josh Teske is my guest on Independence Day this week. His band is the Teske Brothers. One of those Teske Brothers is actually his brother. The other brothers are just brothers in music. Uh, great stuff. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. He's going to blow your socks off. So Josh Teske from the Teske Brothers. The song is Crying Shame on Independence Day. Again. 
Josh Teske, good stuff, man. That's amazing. Thank you so much. You're a Thank very, you so very talented individual. I, I wish you guys the best of luck. It seemed like America is going to be good for you guys. We hope so. We I, hope I so. think you were talking before you played that song uh, about how, how Americans were going to interpret something that is an American art form, You know, one of the few that is you know, distinctly. I mean, obviously it came from uh, a dark history bringing slaves over African styles of music, but then filtered through Amer- the American system or the American psyche. Uh, but there's a rich tradition, especially, you know, England, like in the 60s, uh, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, countless young Brits who were obsessed with the original, like, American blues men, who then amped it up and created something totally new that inspired a whole other generation of Americans to get out and do it. So it, it's not that unusual for us to have our if we can call it our art form reinterpreted and then served back to us in a way that we love. So I think you're going to do great. I really do. I think I I would be very surprised if the audiences weren't responsive to what you do and because it's familiar, you know, Uh, because that, so tell me this, let's do a little bit of biographical uh, dive here. Who were the musicians, you know, other than the ones that you saw playing your local clubs, you mentioned a couple names of musicians that maybe Americans aren't familiar with, but, where where did that come from in your family? Was it just watching those guys? Did your parents have Otis Redding records, or like where did that come from? Especially being from a younger generation, where did you hear that music? Other yeah. than those guys playing it in your local pub? Totally. I mean, we had um, you know my dad's a musician as well. He's a singer songwriter. Um, my uncle that is a, is a was a real working musician. You know, he's uh, my dad's oldest brother. Um, 
And they, I've actually got English parents, so we grew up in Australia, but um, my parents are originally from England, you okay. know, so they were a big part of that, that sort of uh, blues invasion over there in London, you know, so my uncle, um, they were playing, you know, they, they were growing up in the 60s and 70s there in London where, you know, the Beatles were doing yeah. their thing, the Rolling Stones were doing their thing, you know, Eric Clapton's doing his thing. Jimi Hendrix um, came up Jimmy through Jimi Hendrix London. was over doing his thing there too, and, you know, my uncle, he's a, he's a drummer, and... Um, they were playing, they had a band called Nancy and the Satellites and they're essentially playing, you know, soul music, you know, um, girl singer, uh, my, my uncle drummed and sung and they, uh, they toured all around, all around England and they had, um, Brian Epstein was their manager. They had the same manager really? as the Beatles, Whoa, you know, yeah. That's pretty cool. Great story. You know I mean? They were, they were on the up, you know, they were sort of doing really well. And then one of their first tours, they came over, they did a tour over to Vietnam to play to the American troops. So they used to go around in a helicopter yeah. playing soul music to, uh, to American troops over there in Vietnam. So that's, uh, there's a history of, of our play of our family playing this kind of music, I guess. And, um, that was, you know, that was my uncle. My dad's always just been a singer songwriter, more folky kind of stuff like that. But he taught us to play guitar very early, but, um, needless to say, we had a, a big vinyl collection, uh, things like Van Morrison, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, you know, B.B. King, yeah. Freddie King, all this stuff was um, really, really present in, uh, in our household, you know. Yeah. And um, so we were constantly listen listening to this stuff. And it was, you know, for me, it was kind of uh, all I knew in a way. It was sort of like the, 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 the local music that was getting played in our area. This is what, you know, this is what a lot of these Australian musicians were playing. Um, all the music I, you know, we grew up on around the house was was this kind of soul and blues music, and um, even I didn't. I guess when as a kid I didn't know a lot about it. I didn't know anything about the history. I just uh, the the music touched me, you know, touched my soul since I was you know twelve years old, and um, as I even before my voice broke, I was trying to wail and sing in a way. You know, always I was always a natural show off and you know, singing and, you know, doing, doing, you know, just basically having a bit of a muck around on these songs. And I used to attempt to kind of sing like Otis, you know, when I was, when I was 12, you know, <laughs> so yeah. I've always kind of done that. Are without, there any without, like family know, videos of you when you were 12 trying to sing like Otis Redding? I out think there we've somewhere? got some floating around, you know, Man. I used to follow a lot of Michael Jackson as well, you know, that yeah. was a big one for us too. So we were, you know, I think I used to, you know, some, there's some kid videos of me trying to do all the dance moves and scream away <laughs> at some <laughs> kind of a, just beat it or something like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like the, the farther we get along through music, popular music, uh, the more things become a melting pot. And that's something for the younger generations. I mean, I mean what's younger? Define what younger actually is. But uh, once the internet became the primary distribution channel for music, and in the past 10 years, YouTube has become a huge distribution channel for mm. music where... If you're a young kid, no matter where you are, in suburban Melbourne or in suburban Chicago, where I couldn't do that when I was a kid. You know, I, I learned to play guitar uh, and learn songwriting, essentially, by just turning on the local classic rock station and playing along with everything that came, came up. You know, I was listening to it other, other times when I was driving around or when I was a kid, and I had my little, little AM radio. Uh, but when now like a young person can just dive in, like if you, you know, it's like calling going down the rabbit hole. Right, so if you're a young musician and you're into Otis Redding, uh, and you hear like maybe your cousin or your uncle or whomever has uh, an Otis Redding record, and you think, well, there's got to be other people, so you just go to you know you can just type that in, type Otis Redding into your Google, your uh, YouTube search, and then a dozen videos of related things pop up on the right hand side, and you can just go down that rabbit hole. Completely, it's yeah. fascinating. You know what's available now, or if you have Spotify, 
You uh, pay exactly. like 10 yeah. bucks a month or whatever it is. And then it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Mm. But people can just mix it all together. So my next question for you is, people now have heard you sing one song. They've heard you sing a song in the record. They've heard you sing one live song. You're going to sing some more here in a minute. Uh, but your voice very much lends itself to that style, right? So, I mean, is, is, was that part of it too? Like that you figured out? Because there's... I always think about musicians, like you may be really into prog rock, but you can't play guitar like a prog rock person. You can work on it or shit, you know, but there's a function of like your voice is different from guitar playing. Like you you have a, a God-given thing. This is just the voice you have. I don't want to say just, but it's mm. the voice that you have. But your voice lends itself to this style. So was that a, I mean, it seems like an obvious choice that you would then go into singing that kind of thing. Like you're, did you sing, oh, here's a better question. Did you sing in choir growing up, like in school? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I sung throughout school and um, we had a really, really great music program at our school. And a lot of, once again, a lot of, um, you know, my guitar teacher and my harmonica kind of mentor at school was a, you know, working musician around, you know, around town. And he's a, he's a blues player as well, you know, so, and he sort of showed us a lot of our first kind of, you know, getting our grooves together as, as a band, you know, all the guys were trying to show us that, you know, have our attempt at playing Green Onions and things like that, you know <laughs> what I mean? That's awesome. As, as 12 years olds, you know. And, um, you know, so he's, um, and I guess, yes, I was always singing in that. I was always, the, the, I guess the style of music, um, maybe I adapted my voice to suit that kind of music or it might be, you know, a little bit of both. And, I've, yeah. and I guess in terms of the choir, like we were kind of doing, you know, even over in Australia, we did a lot of gospel tunes, a lot of African tunes right. and things like that in the choir. Uh, in my later years, I used to, um, so I used to kind of sing in the front of the choir, you know, I used to kind of, when I was maybe about 18 or 19, um, you know, our choir teacher used to sort of, we do these tracks where I'd sort of, you know, sing similar to the way I'm singing now and then have the choir behind us and right. sing these kind of gospel tunes, which was right. um, a really, really a lot of fun. I love, I love having a choir, you know, but the power of a choir behind you is um, yeah. really, really amazing. And, um, but, um, you know, I guess, you know, I have a different voice as well that I use for, you know, when I'm, when I'm there kind of, uh, singing you know in the choir just being a part of it you know right. I, I guess it's a, it comes from a different place so right. uh, i don't think i've ever recorded any music in that in singing in that style but you know we um i guess it's the way i warm up uh you know i had a classical sort of uh, singing teacher so when i warm right. up before a show you know i sing in a in a in a classical kind of style to, Interesting. to get my voice kind of uh, ready for the for the horrible things i'm about to do to it right. you know yeah so that's a sort of um that's my kind of regular routine and um, yeah, there's just different. It's a different way of using your your you know your instrument. I guess you know it's like it's like right. turning on a bunch of turning up your amp to eleven and getting a real crunchy sort right. of um, different sound. You know from your from your amp if you're playing guitar. I feel like that's like that for me for my voice. It's a different. Yeah. It just it, it's a different use of it. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a very gifted singer. Uh, like just the timbre of your voice, the way your voice sounds lends itself so very well to doing the style of music that your band does. So, I mean, I can, uh, envy isn't the right word. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of a word, I've been trying to make up a word for uh, pleasantly jealous. <laughs> Basically, it's jealous without, like being jealous of someone's talent or someone's whatever without being envious or without there being a negative connotation to that. Mm. The best I've come up with so far is plelous, yeah, which is like pleasantly yeah. jealous. Well, that's so a good, like, you know, we need a, there's a place for a word like that, isn't there? Because yeah. I think um, as musicians and singers, when we watch other musicians and singers that you 
once again, there's that word you envy. Would you envy? You know, you, you know, you respect what they do and you really love what they do. But it's not that. Um, in no way is there a jealousy. It's just that yeah. you really appreciate their um, their style, and it might be completely different to yours. Yeah. And um, but there's a there's a real appreciation for for each other and, and watching things. You know, so. and their work because most musicians. I mean, few is the musician who gets to that level of, of talent, uh, of being able to perform at that level without working very, very hard, one way or another. Sometimes it's woodshedding with your instruments. Like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have heard or to have heard that you uh, had classical training along the way or formal music training because like you mentioned it just a second ago, to sing in the style that you're singing, that can be very abusive to your voice. And if you're going to have a career at this, you're going to need to be able to do this. Year in, year out, night in, night out. Yeah, night after night after night. Yeah, you night know. after night. And you learn habits. You know, that's the thing. I, I, you're also at a very interesting. You've said you've been doing this like ten or twelve years, but now you're starting to tour internationally. It's fascinating to see musicians once they reach that level, and they have to do it every night because then you find out what they're really made of. Mm. The musicians who were in it for the girls, or or just the girls, the musicians who were in it for the drugs, the musicians who were in it for the notoriety, uh, the party scene, whatever it is. They tend to, you know, if sometimes if they're lucky, they'll make it and the party rolls on. You know, the road goes on forever and the party never ends. But you start to, like, as I got older in music, people kind of fell away mm. who were less into it for the proper reason. And once you get to that point, you, you learn that you have to take care of your instrument. You know, the hardest thing for me uh, as a singer is talking after a show or talking in a loud Ooh, bar. Oh, you said it. Yeah. Nothing mm. destroys my voice like talking loudly in a bar. You know, if I go to a bunch of shows, like if I went to South by Southwest, I'd have to have a like a dry erase board to talk to people because I can't talk. Yeah. Do you yeah. have rules like that? Like after a, a show, you, know, you don't talk? Or? Well, you said it exactly, Joe. That's exactly the thing that destroys my voice as well. It's the, I can sing, I've done a whole month tour straight playing, you know, every single night, you know, singing and, uh, and I don't lose my voice. It's fine. I can keep doing it. I can keep doing it. The moment I have a... Uh, get carried away and start chatting to people after the show right. uh, in a loud bar situation, it just ruins it, like you said. That's yeah. sort of um, – so that's always been – I have to be really, really strict on myself like that when there's an extensive kind of tour. Yeah. It's finishing the show and it's and it's heartbreaking sometimes because there's, you know, you got friends there, you got, um, you know, people you want to meet, people you want to chat to. I'm a, I love a chat. I love a beer and I love to, I love to enjoy that sort of side of things. But um, it's been a total double-edged sword for me this um, yeah. this touring lifestyle because I have to finish the show and immediately, you know, slink away and hide away in a room somewhere because I right. just can't. If I talk, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose right. my voice for the for the show the for the following day. Um, so things like South by Southwest, oh man, um, must have been and, murderous. Uh, our equivalent in Australia is Big Sound. You know, is uh, that's our kind of Australian South by Southwest. The, you know, because the whole point of these things is to meet people and to meet people from labels and have a, have a bit of a chat and networking. So, you know, you kind of got to finish a show and you got to go have a chat afterwards, you know, right. sometimes. So it's a, it's a disaster for, um, for singers like us, I guess, you know. Right. And that also presents a challenge because when you're a young band and you're working your way up, your, your fans are really your only stock and trade. Like you've got your music, but without the fans paying to see shows, paying to buy records or downloads or whatever, uh, you're kind of dead in the water. So you, if you're like me, I want to meet those people. If you like what I do as a musician, I'm, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. 
you know, because I, you know, you're, you're a musician, you, you write your songs in your bedroom or you're on the tour bus or wherever you are and you rehearse them with your friends in a room, there's no crowd there, then you take them in front of people and if people respond to that, like, I really want to interact with those people. And I'm kind of talky to begin with. I'm a radio guy. I'm just, I'm friendly and gregarious and I like, I like meeting people and talking to people. And that becomes a, the biggest challenge for me. Mm. It's because I really want, like, that's half of the thing for me. It's like, hey, 50 people showed up. I want to talk to all of them. Hey, where you come? Thanks for coming, man. Totally, That's totally. awesome. Uh, but, you know, and, and they, you run the risk of being perceived as, uh, I don't know if aloof isn't the right word, but detached or um, to have an attitude because you don't want to mm. talk to the fans. But that may not be the case at all. Totally, especially for singers. Yeah. Right. You're just mm. trying to preserve your instrument because you've, it's got to last you for the rest of the tour and the rest of your career. Totally. Well, you know, um, you know, me and you have got a lot in, in common there, Joe. That's, um, I think, uh, you know, you being a radio presenter, me being the lead singer, the, uh, you know, the front man, I guess, the re- I mean, the whole reason I got into singing in the first place and, you know, as a, you know, as a kid was because, uh, you know, I was, I was the show off. I was the, you right. know, the one who wanted to be up the front. And um, so out of our whole band, I'm, I'm definitely the more chattiest and the more, most excited to get out and chat to people and yeah. meet people. I'm really excited to find out how people found out about the music. Right. And, uh, you know, funnily enough, the other guys are a lot more introverted, but, you know, Interesting. sometimes, you know, like our bass player and, you know, and our drummer, they, they you know, is maybe not, not as excited to, you know, go and, go and do that. So it's, it's a funny double-edged sword that it's yeah. me, the one who's most excited to, to kind of do this, I think sometimes right. has to be the one that hides away so sometimes when we go out if we have to go out maybe and do um you know we're going to sign some records or something like that we've got some pretty good techniques where i kind of hide up the back and um you know people come and you know people come and talk to me and i have my brother there next to me and he kind of butts in on the conversation and takes over the conversation for me while i try to you know do a lot of nodding and smiling and um and um and avoid talking as much as possible because as as we said before the the worst thing you can do is um is uh, chatting in a loud bar with the mixture right. of uh, after a gig. So it's um, it's been a really interesting kind of. Um, I keep saying this word, double-edged sword. You're yeah. in these beautiful cities, these great opportunities, these really cool right. people you want to meet. But you, you know, sometimes you just have to slink off and go to bed. You yeah. Know? <laughs> My goal, Josh, has always been to get to the point where I'm not playing in bars. Right, I love to go to the pub. It's one of my favorite things in the world, especially when there's no TVs. I like the British style ones where there's no TVs and it's just your friends. Sometimes there's not even any mm. music, and as much as music is the you know the most important thing in the whole world for me, uh, I like just going and chatting with my mates, as they would say in England, uh, having a pint. I even call it that, like, hey, you want to grab a pint? That's what I tell my friends, because I want to go to the pub away from the TVs, turn the music down. I always said if I got really really rich, I would build a pub on my property. And people could like it would full replica, and people could just come hang out and drink. They don't even have to talk to me, you know, just me and my friends. But the rule is, I get to control the beer because I'm a fancy beer man, and I get to control the music, how loud it is, and what they play. Because I, you know, the, it seems like the later in the night it gets, the crappier the music gets, and it would never happen in my bar. That I can guarantee you. Fantastic! I can't wait to come to this bar. I can't. You're yeah. all invited. You and you and all the band have a standing <laughs> invitation, and then certain nights we'll have bands play. You can come play. Uh, but you said something, an interesting thing I, I want to touch upon there, which is being in a band with your brother a second ago. But first, I want you to play another live tune. We'll come back. Well, after this tune, we'll talk about that, like how your family relation, like, because I've always wished one of my siblings played music. What's this next tune going to be, Josh? Oh, well, this one, this next song here is um, a bit of a new song we might try out on you. And this is an um, unreleased song. It's about to, um, about to come out, and it will come out with the, um, with the American release of Half Mile Harvest. And this one's called... I get up. 
All right, and you're going to play electric guitar for this one. You, we tra- dragged out my Martin for the other one. You've got a beautiful Gibson ES-335 for this, if I've got it right. Have we got the right song? That's correct. That's oh. correct. Okay, cool. All right, so this is Josh Teske from the Teske Brothers, Australian band, uh, Otis Redding style, St. Paul and the Broken Bone style, Marvin Gaye. Uh, if you're fans of that kind of music, you're going to be a fan of this band too. They're going to be touring around the States at some point later this year. You should really check them out. So Josh Teske, this is the song, I Get Up on Independence Day. Sometimes trying to just get done when you get broken down again. It ain't because you didn't try. I tried to count the days that I've been disappointed so many long times. It gets disjointed, but it's hard trying to make a living. Oh, when you get down again You just keep giving, yeah Every time I get up, I get up Something gone, yeah, bring me down I get so low sometimes Feel I'm level with the ground Yeah, baby Make my way, but it wasn't enough. Desire burns when your dreams are close to touch. I'm begging for the man to lick his dog, but the heart of mine is stopped from the start. Yeah, it's hard trying to make a living. Oh, when you Got down again and, uh, You just keep giving, giving away Everything Giving away Everything Giving away Just give up, just give up, just give up. 
I'm Joe Armstrong. That is Josh Teske of the Teske Brothers, an Australian-based band. They're going to be spending some time in the States, so they got a record that's coming out. It is called, Josh, help me out. What's it called? I'm sorry. The it's called Half Mile Harvest. Half Mile Harvest, right. That's it right. came out about a year ago in their home country of Australia, but it's going to be new to you. Uh, and they've, they've kind of mixed up a couple songs on there, and they're working on a brand new record that's going to be out sometime later this year as well, right? That's or, correct, yeah. Okay, so yeah. You'll, be, you'll be hearing more from these guys, and I really hope you do. Uh, great, great music, great voice, good tones. Uh, tell me about being in a band with your brother. That's something. There's that, that plelis word I was telling you about before. Like I'm, I'm envious in a happy way because I would love to be in a band. I have two brothers and two sisters, and I would love to be in a band with any of them. That would be so much fun for me. That must give you... Uh, you, you, you guys, because you're brothers, you have like that kind of brotherly connection that you can like look at him and not say something, and he'll get it, what you're saying. Like, on, even on stage or off stage? Completely. So, like that you in know, your family yeah, as well? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, you know, me and Sam are really lucky like that. We've always got on really well. We're both, you know, we're both peacekeepers. We've, um, we're never a kind of a siblings that have, um, you know, fought a lot or, you know. Right. And, and like you said, we got a, you know, we have a, we got a real Dave understanding Davies. of each other. You know, we can... We can we can sit down if you don't if we don't feel like talking we'll sit in the car in silence doesn't matter you know what I mean he's your brother it's just like we can um, we can uh, we have a complete sort of silent understanding and um, and and we can we you know we bounce off each other really well too so I've I have some of the best nights I have is you know going out with my bro you know he's just um he's fantastic so the opportunity to be able to play music with him and be able to kind of work with him as this band's become more and more you know of a working band and it's become our you know careers means I get to spend heaps and heaps of time with him, which um, has just been really, really fantastic. And I'm really, you know, really thankful for that every day. And as you say, with the connection, you know, um, just socially and musically. So a lot of people um, say that about this band when they watch the Teskey Brothers. Um, with the music we play, it's all feeling music. It's all about, um, you know, soul music for us and blues music is not about being a showy band, not about being complicated um, it's about putting as much feeling into it as we can. So it's about, you know, really just feeling that soul, you know, moving dynamically together as a band. You know, we compare it sometimes to being like a horse and a rider, being as one and just feeling it, you know, and not doing it the same every night. Um, yeah. People sort of say that about me and Sam, that we have an understanding, you know, just uh, musically as well. So he follows my vocals, you know, if you watch the way we sort of play, you know, I'll sing and he'll he'll scream a guitar line in between where I kind of sing. So it's kind of it's been twenty years of kind of playing together, kind of developing this sort of right. this way response. that we the way that we move. You know, and um, and even though we're brothers, but uh, you know, Brendan and Liam, we we call them our brothers from other mothers because we've been playing with them for you know in you know for probably fifteen years really in various bands and. Uh, you know, the Teskey Brothers in this exact format has been together for about 12 years. But wow. before that, I was playing with Brendan and other groups and we've been, we've been session bands in the back of other, you know, of other singers as well. So we've kind of toured as um, very early on being, you know, being, you know, the backing band for other, for other singers too. So we've got a lot of history of playing together. 
and especially our bass player and drummer, you know, they're, they're like brothers as well. You know, they've known each other since they were kids. And yeah. um, we all feel that we have a, have a connection together musically like that. And the band kind of rolls together in a way that, yeah. um, you know, that um, so people compare that a lot to say it does the brother thing have a lot to do with that. And um, history, I guess, shows a lot of bands that do that. You know, we talk about the Allman Brothers. We talk about, you know, these bands that there's a lot of brother bands, a lot of sister bands. Yeah. You know, girls and boys just doing, um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a thing there. Or maybe you just got to spend a whole bunch of time together. <laughs> yeah, well, the Kinks, Ray and Dave Davies, uh, CCR, John and Tom Fogarty, uh, a first aid kit, not totally. newer band, sisters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're just, they're, the, like I said, I'm, I'm pleasantly jealous of this. I wish, I tried a couple times to try to get my brother, my one brother, he's got a little bit of musical acumen. You know, and of course, I, tr I tried to get him to play bass because you always need a bass player. Right, and if we're it's if I'm on guitar and singing and he plays bass, we can go anywhere and do anything. Totally. Tried to get him to do that, and he, you know, he did it a little bit, but he he was always distracted by other things. He was off doing his own thing, and he should he should follow his own star, whatever totally. that is. Yeah, uh, you know, my rest. Of, I have one more. So the rest of them were not. I have big family. The rest of them were not really that terribly interested in performing music. My my youngest sister was the only other one, and my family uprooted and moved to another town about 600 miles away, and I think that changed her culture enough that she didn't wind up pursuing music at all, partly because they didn't have the opportunity in the new place. It was a poorer part of the country, uh, not, enough, not as many resources. So they didn't, the, the music education wasn't as valued in that school district. And it just never really, never really took root. So man, I'm, I, I, uh, I, I'm, I have been lucky though. There have been a handful of musicians, I'm thinking of a couple particularly where, you know, brother from another mother situation where, we figured out very early on playing together that we had like some kind of connection that you can't really explain, right? I would play songs, and once once they kind of know you a little bit, it even it's it's like preternatural in a way. They would just he they were both lead guitar players, and I would play a thing like a song we'd never played before, like and I would come in to, like I'd show them a new song, and they would almost know where I was going. It's it's uncanny if you don't play music, you don't you you can't hardly even explain it to someone that it's possible for them to do that. Like, you would just know what chord I was going to go to. Now, I don't play jazz, so I'm not just going off in some crazy direction, but you feel it. When you have that, you know it. And I think the audience feels it too, mm. right? When there's that level of connection that a band has, you were talking about the horse and the rider, you know, working symbiotically towards the same thing. Uh, and a choir is like that too. Completely. Uh, you, mm. Nothing else feels like that. Nothing else sounds like mm. that. Um, does this in your band, like who does the writing? Do you guys write together? Does this extend this kind of like camaraderie, esprit de corps? Does that extend to writing as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, like we all write music in the band. Um, so, um, you know, normally what happens is uh, one of the members will write a song, you know, they'll have the idea of the song basically there. They might have some lyrics, they might have some like a rough chord idea. Normally what we do is we come together and um, and then kind of work on that song and everyone puts their spice to it, you know. So definitely everyone's little abilities there is what creates the kind of song sometimes. So until Sam kind of butters his kind of, his sounds over the top of it, that's what kind of make, gives it that finish. Um, right. Uh, you know, Brendan, our bass player, is really good with arrangements. You know, he really likes to be involved in that. Um, you know, what he thinks might be able to change here, where we you know where we could put a bridge, or what we could do to to make it a bit more interesting or spice it up. That's normally his kind of area. You know, yeah. Um, I, I tend to write. You know, me and Sam both write lyrics, but normally we come. We we're normally the ones that write the melodies and the lyrics over maybe a maybe a chord structure that Brendan has already um, already written. Um, our drummer Liam, he normally writes a song 
quite finished you know he loves to he plays a bit of guitar he sings as well and he'll come to the table with a song and then we'll all kind of put our put our spice yeah. over the top of it you know yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and i guess i've got to know over the years um all the particular characteristics that are the individual band members' songs. So for me, I yeah. hear, I can really hear a Liam song. I can really hear a Sam Teskey song. Or, yeah. You know, so Sam's songs tend to have, um, he's got much more of that English blues invasion kind of sound. You know, he's right. very influenced by people like Peter Green and, you know, all these sort of, uh, you know, and um, Pink Floyd and things like that, you know, David Gilmour. And I'm a so huge he's got a bit David more, Gilmore totally. Fan. I, I mean, David if you listen Gilmore. to Sam's guitar playing, you can hear that influence of that of that side of things, and he has that more psychedelic kind of songwriting yeah, feel. Yeah. So, uh, anyone who's familiar with um, with our record um, songs like "Honeymoon" at the end, that's a ten minute kind of psychedelic kind of jam out. That's a that's a total Sam Teskey song. Yeah. You know, um, my songs tend to be the um, the the slow. You know, more soul, uh, maybe a bit more sad, heartbreak kind of tunes, things like that. Um, yeah. You know, songs like Louisa is a song by our drummer Liam, a bit more rhythmic kind of based and things yeah. like that. So, but definitely, I guess the, the, we have our systems there of years of playing together that we, you know, we piece a song together by, um, yeah. you know, with, with everyone's abilities, you know. Yeah. Well, growing up with the Beatles, you know, all their songs are, are copyrighted as, as uh, Lennon McCartney. Right, they're they're together, all of them, every last mm. one of them. But you know, it's usually delineated by who sang the song, but not entirely always. It was always interesting to like see how those two songwriters compared and contrasted to each other, and how they worked together, and how they even in interviews would talk about like, well, John will come in with this, and I'll add one little bit, but that maybe that little bit changes everything about it and mm. makes it a fantastic thing. Um, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit and talk just a little bit of tech talk because one thing when I was listening to you guys pre prepping for this interview was sonically uh, the sound of the music on record mm. harkens back to an earlier time in music recording as well. Uh, and it's hard to do to make something sound what I would call period appropriate, mm. you know, like an old soul record. You know, some of, the, some of the newer blues that I hear somehow doesn't sound right because it's too clean, right? Totally. So if, with you, was that something that was conscious that came from the band that you did that, and as a as a secondary question, you know, what, did you have a producer that helped you do that? Did it come from the band? Like, how did you stick to that guiding star of making your music sound like early Otis Redding or that era? Was that intentional? Totally. Well, no, I'm really glad you asked. And um, so, my brother Sam is a sound engineer by trade. You know, like before, we've always played music, but his job, he's done live sound. Uh, we have our own studio, so our studio is called. Half Mile Harvest as well as the name of our, of our studio. So Sam uh, runs that studio. That's his, that's his thing. You know, when he's not playing music, he's recording, recording bands or working on our stuff. So he's our kind of producer and um, an engineer. Um, at the top of it all, so this record, um, we came into this with a intention to make a sound that we wanted to totally, you know, reference that, you know, 60s and 70s sort yeah. of soul records. And... So, um, and part of one of the whole reasons we kind of did this record was some of the new toys that Sam had, basically. So Sam is a total gearhead. He, um, you know, he's obsessed with old 60s and 70s, you know, microphones and, and, uh, and tape, you know. So one of the, the, the center of our studio back there in Warrandyte is a 1980s 
uh, well, late seventies Studer A eight hundred two inch tape machine. You know, yeah. and reel to reel tape machine. Real-to-real people tape who machine. aren't musicians. Like mm. most of the, we've moved into digital recording now, which isn't mm-hmm. as sexy but incredibly powerful. But old school guys, a lot of times, you know, up until gosh, when did those take over? I guess two inch machines were probably the primary format until the mid nineties. That's right. Yeah, about. and us, our machines probably the. One of the last of the machines before it was, you know, it got the uh, the height of the technology for tape machines before it kind of started to switch, you know. Right. And so this record, we came in and we did everything to tape. So we didn't use any computers whatsoever, uh, only the final kind of bounce down. You know, we, we mixed everything straight to the desk, you know. We kind of bounced it all on the desk live in the room. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the tracks are all done live in the studio. Uh, everything down to the microphones we were using. Um, the sounds we're trying to get vocally, you know, we wanted to run really hot into the tape machine, and that's right. how you get that kind of that that crunch that is very uh, represents those Otis Redding records and all those dynamic singers that yeah. you know, they couldn't quite control the sounds. I think back in the seventies, there, and it's not like they were doing it on purpose, but there's a right. sound that represents that kind of era, and we love it, you know. So we love getting that sound, yeah. and we did everything in a way that to kind of. Because for us, that's, you know, to, to record blues and soul digitally, it, it sort of something doesn't quite add up. It, yeah. You know, it needs to have the sound of, of the era that, that we love and, and the sound, you know, the drum sounds, everything, that's, that's really, really important to us. So this whole record was, you know, themed in that way and, um, and, and recorded in that way. And I guess uh, the big thing that we really enjoyed about it as well is we really enjoy the process of having the limitations of recording to right. a tape machine. So... In the past, when we've mucked around, um, you know, recording with Pro Tools and being able to, you know, cut and paste um, a million different things, be able to kind of muck around with my vocal takes, uh, you know, mix and match things and um, do whatever you want. So many options sometimes can can ruin a song for us because you get lost in in the a million different ways you can go yeah. with it. Whereas when we recorded down to our old tape machine, there we got twenty four tracks. You know, you got to get it right the first time. You got to right. get it right in the room. You can't mess with it. You know, you have to yeah. the way it, the way it comes out, um, which is often the way you originally wrote the song. It keeps the the, the true nature of the song yeah. that you wrote. So we love recording with it. You know, in the old way to you know reel to reel, because it gives us those limitations, and we, we we're not allowed to kind of muck around too right. much. So that was a big part of what created this record. It keeps you honest. Because those parts have to be actually played. Anything that's on there, you know, uh, horns, for example. I mean, I guess you could just as easily play it on a keyboard. But you, I, I, I appreciate and commend you for the commitment to doing it in that way. Because it really does shine through. And I really hope people drop by your website and pick up this record. Uh, Theteskybrothers.com is the website. Uh, they're also everywhere on the internet. You can find them there, speaking of digital stuff. But it really does shine through. And so I'm glad you specifically mentioned the vocals and how... Uh, they're distorted, but they're not distorted in a way that Nine Inch Nails vocals are distorted. You're not running your voice through a, a distortion pedal. It's something that's a very specific thing that's an arca- almost like an archaic uh, or anachronistic way of recording that, I mean, you can kind of do it. Uh, I mean, certainly you can do it. Any studio can do it, I suppose. But committing to doing that in the studio and then doubly committing to record that on magnetic tape, a reel-to-reel tape machine, is quite a commitment. Mm, right, mm. and I'm I'm happy to see a band doing that anywhere in the world, anytime, because it's there's a million ways to do everything now. Right, you can I tend to use Pro Tools; it's cheap. I can't afford a two inch tape machine, but mm. I I call it a glorified tape machine because I try not to cut and paste. It's like this is what it is. We're going in to record it, 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's still the digital recording. And uh, it was interesting in my lifetime to watch everything go from like when CDs first came out. A lot of people may not remember this. There was a little three-letter code that was on the very first CDs that came out in the 80s. It would be like ADD, which meant that it was recorded and uh, recorded in analog, mastered digitally, and then replicated digitally. But there was also like DDD, which meant it was recorded digitally, multi-track, mastered digitally, and then replicated digitally. And like at the time when CDs first came out, that was what everybody wanted. Dire Straits Brothers in Arms, I think, was one of the first records that was like totally, yeah, digitally was all the, the way through. It was the latest technology. It was, and yeah, everyone yeah, loved it. It was this yeah. thing. But like now going back and listening to it, it, it and it's a great record, but it, it's of that era very much. Just as your music, uh, even though you're performing it here in the new millennium, is of that classic soul, Memphis, uh, Muscle Shoals. Uh, Detroit studios, Motown, totally. like that yeah. sound, and you've captured that. So good work, man. No, uh, thank you so much. That was yeah, that was very important to us, and that's the real, the real. You know, that is the full theme of this yeah. record. It's it all shines. About, and are you doing you know, the new record in the same manner? Totally. Yeah. So we 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 love this uh, style of recording, and so you know the new songs that are coming out. You know, we've already been in the studio, kind of recording these things, uh, very very uh, similar themed. And you know, I think we're we're open to you know using um, digital concepts as well, but we you know we haven't yet, and I think we're we're still really pushing to just constantly do things yeah. to tape. You know, that's our that's our real love, and we love the sound we get in that way, and uh, and uh, hopefully there's no need to change it, and we can kind of keep recording in that way. Yeah, good stuff, man. Uh, one question: I want to get to some music here in just a second. You've got another song you're going to play for us, and I can't wait to hear that. Is uh, when you're doing the style that you're doing, this kind of like uh, soul, rev- uh, not revisionist, what's the word, like traditionalist, you know, you're, the way you're recording, the style that you're recording, uh, is there something you foresee in the future that perhaps, like you know, that can kind of be in a box in a way? Like, oh, there's Teskey Brothers. Oh yeah, they're like St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Mm. Or they're like Otis Redding. Like, is there a way that you think in the future that you may push the you know, I don't say push the envelope, that's the dumbest saying, but push out of that box in a way. Mm. You know, you mentioned your brother's a Pink Floyd fan or, you know, your drummer does something more rhythmic. You know, you two mm. reinvented themselves. David Bowie reinvented himself every two weeks, it seems like. Neil Young went through mm. phases of stuff. Do you, I mean, I know you've got a, you know, one record just coming out here, so maybe we're getting really ahead of ourselves, but like, which way would you like to go someday, do you think? Yeah, I think we never want to be sort of categorized just as this kind of blues and soul sound and and in a way we're really you know we're not i think our songs that have got traction so songs like pain and misery and crying shame seem to be the ones that have had the most movement you know digitally on spotify and things like that and they're very much you know a um uh, you know they 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 lend themselves to that you know that real sort of traditional soulful sort of sound but the whole record in itself you know like i was saying with some of sam's tracks definitely have some pink floyd influences maybe a little bit more rockier kind of tunes you know um we never see ourselves as being you know even on this record being completely tied into that into that genre right. but it, it does seem to be the genre that we get um you know categorized as which right. we're fine with and we love we love that genre right. And in upcoming records, you know, we always want to, you know, there's always going to be a love of that music, especially, I guess it's my, my vocals are going to always have a bit of a, they're going to lend themselves to that kind of influence. Right. So you're going to hear that aspect. But um, in the songwriting, I think songs have a, um, a, a mind of their own and a life of their own. So I, I often compare songs to, 
you know, like the the Roald Dahl book, The Big Friendly Giant, and the concept of a dream floating around at uh, in the night, and uh, certain dreams sweep into the kids' heads, you know. And, yeah. And uh, the you know, and the and the giant's job is he he collects the bad dreams, you know, so doesn't let them get out there, you know. Yeah. But it's um, I think of songs like that sometimes, you know, and a lot of songwriters could um relate to this, I think, because sometimes you. You feel like you didn't even write this song. It just kind of somehow floated past you. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm waving my hands in the air right now. Yeah. And um, and uh, and kind of popped into your head, and then uh, and then you just had to write it. You know. Yeah. And and I think um and like when I was talking about with recording to tape, I love that not being able to change that too much. So not being restricted to your style, and saying no, no, well. This song's great, but it needs to be more like what what we're what we're categorized as. Right. I, I feel the song has a mind of its own and should stay true to the way yeah. it floated out of the sky into your head yeah. as, and the song is calling to be uh, sung in a certain way yeah. or things like that. And um, so, to an extent, I think um, you know, uh, the, I'm, I'm open to anything. One thing um, I would never want to do is jump you know have this record that's sort of you know really old school uh, really traditional sort of sound and suddenly bring out a song that's kind of like a completely different pop Depeche thing or just mode. like you know really you know commercial or something like yeah. that that's something we'll always kind of steer away from and you know yeah. keep it away with a with a big heavy stick of any industry trying to say oh yeah you need a you know you need a pop tune you know yeah so we don't ever want to do that but we're definitely um open to um to moving in any direction and whatever songs you know whatever they they feel they need to go you yeah know? so that's sort of yeah. I feel if you listen with the correct kind of ears or the right kind of ears, there's like you said, the song will tell you what it wants to be. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I, I always use for my own songs, I mean, that's exactly the metaphor. They're just kind of floating out there in the ether. But they're also like, once they start showing up in my world, they're kind of like children. Because some children, you have to drag them kicking and screaming into mm. to bed and to eat and to take a bath. And like some songs you fight with and wrestle with and they're just, the kid's a bastard. It's just, you know, because some kids are just unruly. Mm. They don't want to go to bed. They don't yeah. want to. They've got their yeah. own ideas about things. Some kids, you give them a book, give them some Legos, they're fine. Totally. They don't take much rearing, as they yeah. say in the American South. Yeah. And I and that's the metaphor I always like because like it's some you work with, some you fight with, um, but at the end they're all beautiful. Totally. If you if you succeed, th- even the difficult kid, you just have to figure out the way to get through to them. Totally. You know, yeah. and that's our challenge as writers is to interpret that that comes from like the songwriting guff out there in the world mm. and then to deliver it. It's a fascinating art. It's a fascinating art form. It's my favorite totally. art form of all. Yeah. Uh, one last question before this song, Josh. Uh, when I was doing research, I, I stumbled across this Soul Food Sessions video. Yeah, right on, right and on. It's like these, you guys are playing in some house somewhere and there's, yeah. it's like a kitchen and there's like kids running around and dogs running around and it's this pastoral nature setting with green grass and leaves and there's wine and beer. Like, what is that? Like, I saw that video mm. and I wanted to like, I wanted to be there. You know, like, is that something that's a regular thing that happens in oh, Australia? Yeah, is, it, totally. is, like, is every Friday night like that in Australia? <laughs> like, what's it like? Do I have to move there? What happens? Well, How that was, this? I mean, I'm glad you asked because that, that essentially, that is our studio. So that's our, oh, very nice. That's our house where we live. So I live there. I'm totally inviting um, myself to your totally, house the next man. time when I'm in Australia. Over, come on around. We'll have a jam. You know, it's like our pub, you know. We'll come yeah. to your pub. You can come out to our pub and uh, we brew our own beer out Deal. there. We I got, make beer. You know, you know yeah, man. Oh man, hey, look at that. We got we got heaps in coming, Jay. That's the thing. And we got we got bees out there. So we got a we got about an acre block. Um it's kind of in the Yarra Valley, we call it. It's east of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. It's just where it gets sort of out into the country there. It's our family home. So, you know, uh, my parents don't live there anymore, but I've lived there with my brother for many years. 
Uh, we have the recording studio downstairs underneath the house. Mm-hmm. That's where that's that's where the whole record was recorded. Uh, where that video was recorded is um, over in it's in a cottage at the back where that's where I live. You know, uh, I live down there with my partner, and uh, we have a, so we got a few of us live in the house. We play music out there. Um, we do all our recordings out there. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's, our it's our nest. So when we are back yeah. in Melbourne and we're not touring, that's, um, that's, that's the place. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful space to work Man, out of, is it know? ever. It was like the most delightful thing of my entire week to stumble across that video. Cause that's what I want all my shows to be like. Just hanging around with people and making music and having people want drinks can have drinks and there's food, like I said, food and kids and dogs and man. So I, I guarantee that word again. I'm, I'm very plelous of your, uh, your uh, yeah. living situation. And it's, it's a beautiful, fantastic. it's a beautiful space. Anyone, anyone who's ever out there in, um, in Melbourne, you know, can come and visit us there. And it's, um, that, that day, what we did, that was a, that was like a home gig. So we wanted to film, we brought all our friends around. We just sort of, we wanted to get this footage of us, you know, just, basically having all our mates around and, yeah. and, and playing some tunes, you know, so everyone's there and we cooked up some, you know, we we're just making some pizzas and, um, and just all having a, having a bit of a get together while we filmed a song just so we had an audience for yeah. the, for the song basically, you know. Good stuff, man. I, I, people should check out that too. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can look it up. What's the, it's, it's called the, uh, soul food sessions. Is soul the food name sessions. Of- yeah. And they and they do a whole bunch of videos like this. So this is their theme. They, they record bands, um, at, at their homes, basically. So they go, they, they kind of, um, they encourage this idea of going around and um, doing a video in people's homes and invite your friends around and we'll, and we'll make a video of it. You what know? a fantastic idea, Josh. I love that idea. All right, one last song before I got to boot you out of here. What, we're going to, we could talk all night. Uh, what is, uh, what's this last song called? Cool. So this one sort of, I guess, is a, this is a cover I'm going to play. It's by, a, it's by an artist called, he's an Australian artist. He's called C.W. Stone King. And he's been a real influence on our music um, and on this record. Um, he's a he's a he's kind of like a blues sort of guy um, who recorded a record in a really old style. All his songs are really old. He has this theme of being really a really you know he has an incredible technique of making a record sound like it's from a different era. Uh, so he's someone who we've taken a lot of influence from and and seen an artist do really well doing a really old style of music and. Um, and I love story songs. I'm a big like Johnny Cash fan, you know, songs like Boy Named Sue, things yeah. like that. This song is a song called The Talking Lion and it's a, it's a, it's a great, you know, you'll hear the lyrics and it tells a story. Um, and I think this is something that C.W. Stone King is an incredible um, talent in doing. It's writing songs like this that tell a story. And um, here it is. The Talking Lion. And there's almost nothing better than loving a song and then being able to share it with someone else. Because hopefully that song, that child, that's, that song as a child will then get even farther into the world. I hope so. You I know, hope so I too. Hope so. so Josh Teske with a cover. It's a, what's that guy's name again? I'm sorry. Uh, C.W. Stone King. C.W. Stone King, Australian artist. This is the song, The Talkin' Lion on Independence Day. <laughs> I'm over in Africa mining for gold Oh, mining for gold Long came a big lion, caught me in my hole Oh, me in my hole 
The lion said, buddy, you plumb out of luck Whoa, plumb out of luck He made a lunge for me, Lord, I had to duck Whoa, I had to I dabbed that line right clean in the jaw Whoa, clean in the jaw Picked him up by his tail, dragged him across the floor Whoa, him across the floor Well, I chained him up in the back of my truck Whoa in the back of my truck I said, what's that you had to say about luck? Mm. He said about luck Well, the first time I took him was ten miles away Whoa, ten miles away Show the people living here what this town can say. Whoa, this town can say. Oh, the lion low around him is started to cry. Whoa, started to cry. He said, This man here punched me and he blackened my Whoa, he blackened my All the people got angry, they started to shout Whoa, started to shout Lion said that's what I was talking about Oh, mm. they hauled me up in the courthouse jail Whoa. In the courthouse jail Judge was a monkey in an old wicked tale Whoa, in an old wicked tale The monkey say guilty and the people are jeered Whoa, the people are jeered he slammed his gavels at twenty-five years old Twenty-five years Now I'm in Africa wearing a ball and chain Oh, a ball and chain I'll never mess with them talking lounge again Oh Josh, Teske, man, it's been an absolute pleasure spending the last hour with you, listening to you play your music, what you do, talking to you about recording nerdery, uh, old school recording techniques, talking about, man, I want to come to your house and like hang out and, and make food and drink beer. That's what I want to do with you. 
So One day, Jeremy. I think we've, uh, we've worked it out. And it's, a, it's a mutual appreciation, That was easy, mate. right? Yeah, totally. It wasn't that hard. I'm going to come to your pub. You can come Anytime. out to our place. <laughs> Anytime. Well, we're actually kind of sitting in my pub. I've got a bar in my dining room. Anyway, so with the band, uh, the Teskey Brothers, people can check it out, theteskeybrothers.com, facebook.com slash theteskeybrothers, also on Instagram as the Teskey Brothers. I have already followed you. Uh, also on Twitter at Teskey Brothers. It omit the the, omit the article there. Uh, so Josh Teskey, the band is Josh Teskey, who's here with us today. Sam Teskey, his brother. Uh, Brendan Love and Liam Guff you got is it. the whole band. And they're going to be back in the States. It looks like here you've got some UK dates coming up in May. Uh, and then let's see, Ireland. Then you're on uh, Fortress Europa. You're in Germany, Australia through the middle part of June. Uh, and then it looks like the end of July you're back in the States. Are there going to be more dates tacked on with that, I hope? Definitely, yeah. So we got a whole bunch of dates. I think they're pretty much finalized, you know. And um, I don't know what we've got sort of out there, but um, there's going to be a whole tour you know, through um, through July, kind of all over the country, really. We're kind of jumping around all over the place, but there'll definitely be um, some shows in New York and uh, Los Angeles here. Very nice. Let so, us know when you're back in town. We'll grab for a sure, pint. For sure. Looking forward to it. Good stuff. And I wish you the best of luck. Safe travels back home. Safe travels around Europe. I'm going to be in Europe myself uh, in a little while uh, doing some shows. And uh, But man, come back and see us. Uh, be well. And people, you should go out and see these guys, the Teskey Brothers. You should really do this. I, take it from me. Host of Independence Day. Okay, so thank you to Josh Teske, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The charming tone, the charming Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music is composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out as well. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, please be good to one another. <laughs>